Welcome to Out to Lunch, the podcast in which I take fascinating people out for a slap-up lunch. And all they have to do is be witty and sparkling and tell me all their secrets. My guest today is a multi-award winning comedian. She's taken 12 critically acclaimed stand-up shows to the Edinburgh Fringe, sometimes pretending to be Charles I, sometimes an ant. She won the most prestigious comedy award in Britain, the Edinburgh Comedy Award, in 2013, with her show A Bick for Her. You may have heard her on her brilliant radio shows Bridget Christie's Mind of the Gap and Mortal, or indeed seen her brilliant new show on telly, The Change, on Channel 4. She describes herself as a confused, furious, sweaty lady who is annoyed by everything. She is, of course, well, I've already mentioned the name, haven't I? She's Bridget Christie. And before you hear the chat, let me just set the scene. We're eating at Bancone in Soho, where they make fresh pasta every day. And as you'll hear, it gets quite loud and lively at lunchtimes. Here we go then. How are you? <laughs> so lovely I'm to so see to meet you. It's so good to meet you. God, we're how exciting. We're in a booth. We are in a booth. I like it to sound like we're actually in a restaurant. Yes. Which is why I like the sounds of other people's knives and forks. Yes, clinking. Yeah. And, yeah. What do you think out to lunch means? I'm, like, I'm beginning to wonder if it's just my generation. But out to lunch to our generation means that's it for the day. <laughs> you keep saying our generation, but I'm in I'm your You're generation. nearly, you're about 15 years behind me, I think. 15? Yeah. I'm 51. Yeah, I'm 66. Well, you... Do you know what? I was thinking on You the could way. be my child. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd have started very young. Yeah. Do you drink or not? Yes. Do you? I drink... Uh, well, I well, love Well, this drink. is a relief. <laughs> because I can't, I'm sure I saw somewhere that you'd stop drinking alcohol. No, no I've cut down a hell of a lot because right. of the menopause. Yeah. Like, it was just not good for me, like... The sweats, the... Yeah. Um, it's not good for anyone. No, but I could never cut out. These are the things I could not cut out. Yeah. Alcohol and coffee. Hmm. Why don't we have... Would you fancy white? Yeah. Christian. Hello. How are we doing today? Oh, very well indeed. We'd like to order some wine, please. We're interested in... I personally... Um, Oh, that's what I'm saying. All right. But, that, but it's the... Yes. That I know that that is a good one, Vidicchio. But have a bottle of that. What on here is vegan? So, everything with the So, can I have the artichoke, please? I really love kale, but I also love garlic, so I can't decide between... I do think that the spaghetti is better than the... I'm going to have the spaghetti, because I love garlic. Is it really garlicky? Just enough to smell it. It's in the olive oil. Is it? Yeah, I'll have that one, please. I'm going to have the burrata, and then I'll have uh, cacio e pepe. Grazie. Oh, hello. Ooh. Thank you very much. Yes, please. Mm. Thank you very Ooh, much what's indeed. what's the, like, paste? It's called romesco sauce. Oh, nice. It looks sort amazing. Ground up peppers and almonds. What were you going to say? Were you born in, you, you were born in Gloucester? I was born in Gloucester. Because you have a connection, because it's in your fantastic series, The Change, with, oh. um, with the Forest of Dean. I do. You? But I went to the forest as a child a lot, and it's just mm. it's just remained this really special place yeah. to me. And it's all about memories of childhood, and 
I've always wanted to film something there, and it was always in my mind. It was always summer, and I was. We it looks were always spectacularly a, different, doesn't it? Why? Yeah. It looks different to any other forest. No, it is different though. Why? What's what's in it? It does look very cinematic. Yeah. On screen, but you know you've got your redwoods and your pines and all of that. There is. So it's the kind of the types of trees that make it particular. The types of trees. It's the town surrounding it. It's. It's just the way it was shot, it's like its geographic location, it's got a timeless feel to it. Because of where it is geographically, it's not that easy to get to. It's got very strict planning laws, so it never became gentrified, and so it's kind of stayed the same. There's like a butcher's in Colford that's still got the old like 1950s, 60s lettering on the front, and yeah. there's a DIY shop that looks like it's from the 50s as well, with all the stuff outside. There's this area between the River Severn and the Welsh border and that's the forest of dean and it's they're very proud like to be foresters and they say we're not welsh we're not english we're foresters i would say they're eccentric in the best possible way but i would say that people from gloucester are as well i well i see and, i think you're very different as well no oh. i started listening to radio for in the late 70s mm. i sort of turned it on when i left university and i haven't mm. turned it off yet mm. so I've, I've listened to every comedy that's ever happened on Radio 4. And when your Bridget Christie's Mind the Gap came on, it, it, it was just, just such a different feeling. Oh, really? It was a really different voice. I think you talk about different things and you talk in a different way and you have your accent which you're unafraid of. And well, like, they did try to knock that out of me because I went to drama school in the early 90s and they said... Pretty You're much. not going to get you, nowhere with that. But they literally did, and I never did. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I had to write my own part for myself. Yeah, yeah very it's good. absolutely delicious. They said you were, and actually, ironically, it is like this is my first part and I'm 51 and I had to write it and cast myself in yeah. it. So actually, maybe they were right. Maybe if I had listened to them and got rid of it, I sort of dug my heels in it. The other thing they said to me, Age, was like, you have to go to parties and network. And I said, no, I don't. I don't want to do that. And I didn't, and I didn't get anywhere. So yeah. maybe I should have got well, rid of Well, you did. Accent. You were still getting somewhere because you were doing your shows no. all the time. No, I wasn't. All oh, right. I was always interested in hu humour, like comedy, from like watching old black and whites, Harold Lloyd, Laurel and Hardy with my yeah. dad. And, oh, I love Laurel and Hardy. Oh, God, love My absolute favourite. Yeah, mine too. I think you can look at Laurel and Hardy and you can see... Anyone can tell any joke now, anywhere, and you can see the original joke there. I agree. Like the house falling down and then bricks falling on. Yeah. And on the realisation that I'm never going to get out of this part and this role and I just have to sit here and be abused. Yeah. And the humanity in it. Comedy that works on multiple different levels that can be enjoyed by people of different ages is just the pinnacle, isn't it? Mm. And they did that, and they did that a very, very long time ago. Um, and brilliant parts for women as well, you know, way, way, way ahead. You, no, you no probably one... wouldn't have got to the change without doing the path you've done. Oh, do you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't have written the change or have that come out at any other point in my life. And it couldn't have, actually, because, you know, it really evolved over time and I'm a different person now and... Hmm. Um, you know, it's a very rare thing how to... Long, how long have you had it in your pocket? Seven years from oh. beginning to... Because really? it was different at the beginning. 
that central character wasn't in the menopause because it was because I wasn't seven years ago. Wow. I know. It was about a middle-aged woman whose life hadn't turned yeah. out as she'd planned and she had lost her sense of self and identity and didn't really know who she was and where she was going. So it was about this idea of mortality and time changing and finding out who we are and what we're going to do with our with the time that we've got left yeah. all those kinds of themes originally it was like way back when Gloucester but I she was going to go to the Forest of Dean so I always wanted to set something there because of my relationship with the place Paul Whitehouse doing a genuine accent do, <laughs> do you know what it is or is it just, or is it just all purpose West Country <laughs> I mean he's very good he's very you know, good at it, copying people Paul, I wasn't but. A good mimic. You know, like the accents, I was like, you know what, this is, there's a certain amount of artistic license. Yeah. Like we can use, I don't want that to be something that blocks people. So yeah. if you can do, yeah. I'm sure there's, you know, if there's any foresters listening, they'll be absolutely bloody furious. <laughs> I know that Monica worked very hard. Monica Dolan. Yeah. Carmel. Yeah. She's fantastic. Like she does so much work. I know because she's a friend on like the certain nuances of accents and, and stuff like that but I did say to people you know general West Country is fine because it's not like it's who they are really for me the sense of place um, was very important Did you um, know Jerome before you used him Jerome Flynn What an extraordinary yeah. special person did no. you, But did you know No Because I, I mean I do know him slightly Do you? But I've worked with him before Have you? And oh. I, knew, I knew him when he was really when he was still at drama school. Really Can I is. tell you the story? The last time I worked with him, in about four or five years ago... Was he living he, in a cave? <laughs> um, well, we, we were in a hotel in Cardiff and he would have to go out every morning uh, with no shoes on and find a bit of earth to put his feet on. Oh, that's I mean, it's a so lovely idea. Lovely. But he, he had to get in touch with earth. Let me tell you the Jerome thing. So yeah. most of the people were just sent their scenes... Paul said just straight away, and they they were like, I was like, oh my god! Did you write with him in mind? Yes. Yeah. And with Jim Howick in mind for the verderer. Right. And for the. Um, what is that word? It's a verderer. Verderer. And what does it? For the first couple of episodes, I thought they were saying murderer. A <laughs> <laughs> murderer. All ancient forests in England all had, in the Norman times or whatever, yeah. they had verderers, and they were guardians of the forest. So especially because like the king owned them so yeah. and that's where they would go to hunt for deer and all of that stuff no mm. thank you thank you very much Forest of Dean has held on to these these lovely old traditions and our verderer Jim Howick isn't even a real one but he right. calls himself yeah. one Right. There's something really quite sad about that yeah. he's searching for, for power and status that character when he first starts he comes across as a bit of a kind of misogynist Is yeah but fair? he's angry at but, everybody yeah yeah and but, yeah. but you realize like with most people yeah they're just, they're just threatened and afraid yeah, and lonely yeah, yeah. yeah yeah exactly everyone just wants to be accepted by everyone else i just felt so sad that there are these lonely people out there and they're just filled with hate all the time and i think that about because i've been the victim of trolls and things like that i do sometimes feel like saying to people if you see me right and you go, oh, there's Bridget Christie off Radio 4 or, and she's got this show now on Channel 4. That isn't my life. Like, yeah. I'm from a big working-class Irish family. I left school really with no qualifications. I did loads of, like, dead-end jobs until I was about 36. I only really became 
like had any success with comedy when I was 40. Genuinely yeah. 40. That's when I did an Edinburgh show. That's your um, first one. Well, like, no, it, that was the first one that did quite well. Right. And then I got the Minds the Gap off the back of that. Yeah. And I'm 51 now. But I think it's easy for sometimes to impose our insecurities onto people who look like they've had it easy or yeah. they're privileged. And actually, most of us, if you get to meet us and know about us, we actually haven't. Like, very few people are in positions of privilege. And that can be down to all sorts of things like were they loved like they might be rich but they may, may have been sent off to boarding school so I think the verderer is quite clearly yeah the one who's struggling the most in the change I haven't told you the Jerome Flynn story no come on <laughs> so here's the funny thing He's called Pigman and he goes to the forest. So he has this calling to go to that forest in particular and live there. And then I found out that he had done all this animal activism and he had made a film, film about um, how pigs are kept in this country and how they're killed called Hogwood, a modern horror story. So that's like this first amazing thing. And then the second thing is that that character, the only thing that he's brought into his new life from his old luxurious life is... Um, he can't. He loves coffee. So he brings like a, a milk frother with him to yeah. his cave and that's like the one luxury and his expensive Italian biscuits, Cantucci, that yeah. he, he gets imported in. Jerome said, oh, in the first time I spoke to him, you won't know this, but I, in my area, I'm known as the frothy coffee guy. <laughs> No, I was like, what? Well, I couldn't have possibly have known that. And he's like, I know, it's so weird. And then we just hit it off so well, so straight away. And I think, God, all the people on this were just, I was meant to meet them. Yeah. Has it been recommissioned? Um, have you, is series two coming? Well, I've had three scripts commissioned. Right. But I haven't had the second series commissioned yet. But I would be so sad because what I've done is I've set loads of things up. Like, they're short half hours. They're like 24 minutes on. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird because I've got spaghetti and I read that Jodie Comer had a scene in I think it was Killing Eve where she was eating pasta and she almost nearly dark, like choked to death but they had to get there's <laughs> one went down it went down the wrong way and yeah. then there's someone had to run on and basically give her the Heimlich I think so I'm I'm really worried about um, mine's delicious is yours alright mine is absolutely amazing mm. It's so delicious. Yeah, Cacio so, e pepe is the most simple dish. It's what's just, in it then? It's just cheese and pepper. God, is it? Yeah. You just graze out some cheese and pepper and use a little of the pasta water. God. And, and throw it all in. I bet if at the I made minute. it, it wouldn't be that delicious though. You can make it. And this pasta is cooked to absolute yeah. perfection. Dearest Lunchers, just to let you know that after you've finished listening to this, there's more. Yes, more. Join me over on The Digestivo, where you can hear your favourite guests tell us their top five restaurants in the world. Yes, that's in the world. That's potentially 60 restaurant recommendations from our special guests. And let me tell you, they know a thing or two about dining out. The Digestivo is also the place where we squeeze in some of the juicy extras that we didn't have room for in our regular episodes. For just £2.99 a month, you can get all that and 
every episode completely ad-free. Way less than the price of an actual digestivo. This is the sort of thing you could be missing. And it's meant to be the best example of Art Deco in the country. Yeah. I love everything about it. Yeah. I love the place, I love the guy on the piano, I love the raw celery salad thing, oh God! <laughs> See? Start your free trial of the Digestivo now by clicking Try Free at the top of the Out to Lunch show page on Apple Podcasts. We'd also love to hear from you about your food experiences, from the most heavenly to the most excruciating. Just email lunch at sonymusic.com. Right then, back to the chat. You were in a kind of, um, not a Hells Angels gang, but... Uh, some, I but, wasn't in the Wolves Outlaws. Were you not? But I was friends with some of the members of the Wolves Outlaws, yeah. which was like a Gloucester gang. Did you, did you really leave school at 14? 15. 15. So I lied about my age and I got a job in the local newspaper. But I did have a bike then as well. I had a 125 and then when I was 17, you can get a bigger one, a 250. Yeah. But I was what, very what sensible. Mate? Like what bike? A Honda RS250 bike. that I had. Oh, yeah. And then my first bike was a Yamaha 175. Um, and I loved them so much and I loved being on a bike. And then I was riding bikes until I was 23 when I went up to London to go to drama school and I couldn't really keep one anywhere and didn't have the money to keep a yeah. mode of transport anyway. And then when I was 50, 49... Had a midlife crisis and bought one. And bought another one, bought a Triumph. And I was so nervous because I hadn't ridden a bike in one about of those 30 years. Sort of ones that looks like an old one. Yes, a bobber. Yeah. So yeah. I, I got myself a Triumph Bonneville bobber yeah. um, because I didn't want to Which works get... better than the old Bonneville. Yeah, and but... I didn't want to break down in the middle of yeah. nowhere and yeah. not, you know. Yeah. And so I went to, to pick it up and I was really nervous going down to pick it up because I thought, what if I drop it? Or what if I can't remember how to ride? And actually, I've used this as a real, like, experience to live the rest of my life with, which is that things will frighten you, yeah. but that is not a reason not to do them. Yeah. And I think a, a life without fear is not a life fully led. Like, I think you've got to em embrace things. Yeah. I would say that I'm a naturally frightened person. Like, that horn just frightened me, for example. <laughs> like, <laughs> like random, like, the toast popping up scares yeah. me. And, yeah, I'm just like that with noises. But also, I have a tendency to overthink things. Do you do that? I think, I think about I every possible scenario of a thing. I, um, and of a reaction to something. You're an insomniac. No, but I used to have terrible, 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 terrible trouble sleeping. And then... Because I'm, I'm a runner, so I run most days if I can. And um, if I don't, which because I've been really busy with the change the last few weeks, yeah. and if I've not managed to get a run in, then um, I will have a bit of trouble sleeping. I've, People, I've been in insomnia like, since oh late God. 30s. Oh, God, really? Nothing and has helped it? Stoicism has helped it a little bit. How did you find it? What made you find it? I saw a review in a paper book called uh, Philosophy for Life and Other Dangerous Situations right. by a man called Jules Evans. I, g I give it to a lot of people, and that most people like. If, you, if you've never heard of it, I'll send really you a well copy. to it. Yeah, that it's, sounds... It's, it's a really good book. I mean, it's, and it's, it's a self-help book, I suppose, in a way. But no, it's, talk it's talking about philosophy. Well, do you know what really helps me, like, is... And this happened to me in lockdown. I suddenly realised I had this overwhelming gratitude for my life, my health, 
the world around me, my loved ones, nature, and I was really aware of time passing. Yeah. Which I because before lockdown when we were we were sort of forced to stop, weren't we? Yeah, and I, I, had loved, I loved it. Did you? Yeah, did you love I loved it, or it, so did you I found hate it. it? Well, both. I was worried about work a little yeah. bit. Did you not make mortal during lockdown? Yes. So I recorded that myself from home during so lockdown. Tell me about how you made it because I love mortal. Oh, thank and it, you. And it, it's so conversational. And yet you're talking to yourself in there's three different personas of you at least. There's the one in the future, and then there's two of you talking to each other in the house. I mean, you obviously recorded it yourself, Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking. What I would normally do is write a script and do it in front of an audience in the radio theatre. Yeah. But this was a real opportunity to not do that. So I thought what I'd love to do is address the audience directly and use the medium of radio in a way that I'd not done before. So doing different voices, just thinking differently, but about a really important subject, which was mortality. Yeah. Yeah. And to split it up into four sections, like birth, life, death, and the afterlife. Like these things that I was thinking about so much during yeah. lockdown, and we were surrounded by death, but and life as we are all the time anyway. And how do we negotiate that? And how do we navigate it? And how do we come to terms with our own mortality. Our, our own mortality. Mortality and, is about living as much as it is about well, dying. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. And there were uh, two books that sort of changed the way that I think about that. One is Being Mortal by Atal Gawande, and one is With the End in Mind by Dr. Catherine Mannix. Mm. It's such a difficult thing to get your head around, but we have to live with it, and other cultures are much better at, at dealing with it. I mean, we will plan our kids' birthday parties with much more rigour and yeah. detail and than, than, than we do our own, our own deaths. And so I wanted to talk about that, but I wanted to do it differently. I wanted to do in like funny voices and accents and things like that. And I thought, well, maybe it's an opportunity for me to do that rather than doing stand-up like on the radio. Yeah. Then I wanted to talk about the natural world and I wanted us to hear the world around me and those sounds like going to the park. And I wanted to, for it to be like, a diary of like my day to day. Yeah. But to make it really. So there's bits of you, the washing machine. That are mundane, but also. Then occasionally you're out on the street, and I never quite understand why. Yeah. But it's, it's just nice. You think, oh, now she's out on the street. Yeah, or in the park. Just, or something. It sounds like it's just occurred to her just yeah. then as she was walking down the road. Yeah. Oh. So then I would record all of these things, and I had a producer called Carl, Carl Cooper. And this show was was the both of us made it. I just really want to make that really clear. There's absolutely no way that Mortal would exist without Carl Cooper. No. So what we would talk about is, okay, so they're split into four. And you record everything, but, um, you know, we want to have through lines and we want to have different things. So it was then a puzzle as to what goes next and what are we saying? Because it all had to really fit together really well and it yeah. had to be authentic, but how do, you, how do you do like the voice of an ant but make it feel um, real yeah. as, as well and not just silly? So then Although silly that is good piece as well. of, Silly is great, right? Because <laughs> that's what life is. Life yeah. is tragic and sad yeah. and painful yeah. and silly and absurd and embarrassing and yeah. all of these things. And we don't have the answers to things, do we? Well, what my favourite thing in the whole world is to think about a, a terrible, sad thing and finding a way of being humorous about it. Yeah. That to me is like... That's like... Um... 
encapsulating life, isn't it? That's Just because life is yeah, very yeah. sad and very yeah. funny at the yeah. same time. For me, I feel like I'm in such a privileged position to be able to do stand-up. Like, that to me is yeah. like the, one of the purest art forms. It's like something can happen. I, I've always been absolutely terrified of stand-up. I've done the double act. Though you used to pretend to be other I people. I used to you, pretend you to be... You to be Charles II, Charles II or an aunt or an something. Aunt. Is it you, then? It's an extension of me. Yeah. So my my who I am, Bridget Christie, the stand-up, is an exaggerated version of me, I yeah. would say. Do you like her? I think she's a bit annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's not annoying. She's she's a, she's. I don't know. I'm trying to imagine she, if she, I saw she, her. She does a like, she she does a bit of whining, but in a very funny way. A righteous whining. Right. I'm going to ask you a question now. Yeah. Would you say that Mark Thomas was a whiner? Would you say that yeah, Nish Kumar whined? I would say that, like, Bridget Christie, like, the, that stand-up person is, is political. Yeah. So is whining a misogynist word? Well, no, I'm not saying that you... But yeah. I'm, I'm, it's, I'm, well, no, it's, that's the question. That's the question, yeah. and that's an interesting... Let's think about somebody else. Um, okay, yeah. Jack D. Would you say he was a whiner? Yeah. yeah, I would. Yeah, you'd say he's a whiner. Yeah, he whines. I say he complain. Uh, his act no, is about complaining. His act is about. It's a funny one, isn't it? You know, I really believe that there is literally nothing on earth that can't be joked about. I feel that so strongly yeah. in my but Like I would fight for the right to say talk about absolutely anything yeah if you think about death and just like the worst things i think it's a fundamental right to be able to talk about them but crucially it is what is the audience laughing at yeah what is the context for it what's the objective and the motivation with this when you write there you, you don't set out you're not writing from a platform you're writing from wanting to make people laugh. Or which, every time. Which, yeah. yeah. Every time. So, it's, what, what? so the agenda is just part of you. I, 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 think, yeah. I think this is what Rick and I were. I think yeah. the, the comic strip yeah. club oh, used to be called, um, used to be famously non-sexist, non-racist. Yeah. And then, you know, Rick and I were doing a joke about a gooseberry in a lift. Um, and some people would complain and say, well, how can, how can a, a joke about a goose being a lift be left wing? And we say, well, it's, it's not about what we say, it's about what we're not saying. Yeah. We used to go into school after watching The Young One and like it would really, we would just be quoting and everyone quoted because we watched TV in a different way back then. And I think that comedy has real power actually. I think, I think... Um, Looks like we enjoyed everything. Yes. Do you know what? I think that might have been the best plate of pasta I've ever had. Try it again. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. I, I only know your radio show. I've never seen you live. Yeah. Um, but it's not like... It's much more philosophical. And that's why I love it. It's, it's got a kind of... It's got a kind of a view on the world that I haven't heard before. Oh, you definitely will have. No, I haven't. It's probably just my accent. Well, your accent is part of it, but <laughs> but it, 
you are a philosopher. Absolutely won't hear of it. <laughs> you, you are, and, but well, you do it through stupid comedy. Oh, I like that. I was talking to my daughter last night. You've met my daughter. Yes. She used to be in the Bertie yes, Girls. Yes, she did. Well, the Bertie Girls still exists as a potential idea. used to do the little sketch But she said, I said, I'm going to have lunch with Bridget tomorrow. And she said, oh, we always used to see her backstage dressed as an ant. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time, dressing as an ant and talking about yeah. an ant's experience... Of the on, world. Of the world and of the comedy circuit yeah. as a metaphor for yeah. being... So you do a metaphors. A lot of people just do jokes. You do you do thinking metaphors. That's why you're a cut above. No, it's, be it's because what I'm thinking of is how can you mix things up? So, like, instead of just saying the thing, what else can I do with it? And I think that the more elements you can throw at that, the more interesting it becomes. There's lots of comedy that works on many different levels. Yeah. And that's like your optimum position is, is how can this be funny to look at? But then if I watched it again, how would it be funny philosophically? Or, or how can I write this line in a better way? Is it, if I put that at the end, is that better? Yes, it is, because the laugh has to come at the end of the line, not yeah. in the middle of it. I did an episode of um, Blackadder once, and they just spent all day, every day, saying, is halibut funnier than mackerel? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is it? Yes. Well, there you go. In the change. Yeah. I think, I think your editor thinks our tellies are bigger than mine is. But the, te the, the telephone messages are very small. They are. But you, you, you get messages from your kids. You don't mention your kids much in all your stuff. You devoid yourself of your immediate circumstance. For me, I'm able to talk about genuinely what I feel about things. But in terms of using real world events and people, I prefer to use a, writer, a fictional to use a fictional version yeah, of that, I agree. which doesn't mean that it's not authentic. Yeah. That it, what you're getting is me. Situations, events, and people surrounding that are fiction. Like then, yeah. then they're not real, but they are um, personifications are real. So they're combinations of people and things, and they're they're. Um, but I am myself. You are Bridget Christie. Yeah. But there's another Bridget Christie. Like my, so my uncle was a priest, right? He was a Catholic priest. And before he did his sermons every week, he would always want to put himself in the story. So, and this is how I've tried to do my stand-up is, what has happened to me that is funny or unusual? And then how can I talk about a subject within that context? Yeah. So how can I make this little insignificant thing relevant to a bigger issue? That's what, that's what I try and do. Should we have a coffee? Yeah, I'll have a, I'll have an, I'll have a double espresso. Please. I'm going to have a coffee, please. Did oh. you ever do a column? You did do a column. I did do a column in the Guardian for yeah. about six months. I enjoyed them, but I found like thinking of like having an opinion every yeah, week every very about something. Week. You you did a few years on the Daily Mail diary. I was a secretary on that. Oh, were you? Were you not yeah. writing? No, I, sometimes they would send me out to parties if there weren't enough reporters, but I would never stitch someone up or do like a gossip yeah. story or anything like that. 
But I was, yeah, I was temping at the time. That was for Nigel Dempster. God. Was it? Nigel Dempster? I remember him, yeah. Was it fun? Yeah, I met loads of, it did. Like, I met loads of amazing people and got into really weird situations yeah. like on the lap of Lord Bath at a party <laughs> with him saying the guy from yeah so you can be my you know the one with all the wifelets oh, <laughs> we've really had some cool, wine yeah. now and I'm going to be telling all these yeah. like mad stories yeah. yes I ended up at a, <laughs> I think it was might have been a Daily Mail Christmas party you know Lord Bath with all the hair he's like yeah. an artist lives at Longleat That's well he's one. dead now isn't he the Marquis of yeah Oh, is he dead? Is no, he not I dead think yet? he's dead now. But his son's taken over, but he's... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he had two Another sons one, he, or something. He, had, he, looked, he looked like Vivian He looked Sancho, like a basically. wizard, didn't he? Yeah. Like, he was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know why I was on his lap. I think he might have put... Like, that, I, like I didn't choose to be... Yeah. I think I was just pulled over, which yeah. is... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, oh, God, someone get me off. I think I tried to get... But he was like, oh... I've got 73 wifelets and you could be the 74th. And I was like, I think I'm okay, actually. Yeah, don't don't worry about it, mate. I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just going to get a drink, I think. Because <laughs> I was like, you know, oh, go and go to the premier. You're just going office. to society parties. Right? Yes. And I was yeah. really poor at the time, so I was living in a, in a bed set. And I was doing, yeah. I'd so started getting doing nice stand-up. and... Do you know what, Aid? I that's that was <laughs> that's my evening lived. meal. I did because I was living. I earned. This is this is the good food story. This is the good food story. I was looking you up. And I said there isn't a food story. There is The food but story is. is. This. I'm going to tell you what it is. The food story is you used to live on canapes. I lived in a. I came back from traveling when I was I don't know 30, 30 or something thirty one. And then I wanted to get back into comedy, and but I needed a day job. So I was renting this flat in Parsons Green, and it was really expensive, and it took all my salary, every bit of it, apart from like £20 a week or something. So I would have... I was temping, and then this Daily Mail thing, and they said, we've not been able to fill the part because Nigel Dempster keeps throwing dictionaries at people. <laughs> or like the secretaries yeah. that come in and I was like oh you know I'll, I'll give him what for Yeah. so I was meant to just be there for a week but I sort of got on quite well with him and said oh you can't talk to me like that or whatever and then I ended up staying for much longer than I'd anticipated and then they were like oh you can go out to, if there wasn't enough reporters to, to cover an event you go out and I was like well I'm, I'm not a writer or anything like that but I would go and then I would have little canapes and champagne yeah. and that's what I would eat I would eat in the canteen at lunchtime and at a party at night and that was how I sort of existed and then yeah I became his sort of sponsor because he became a Catholic before he died really? yeah and I, like I was wearing a cross I think and he said you're, you're a Catholic aren't you and I said yeah and he said oh you seem like quite a nice person would you be my sponsor and I was like yeah okay I went took him to Lourdes to be like baptized with my sister. Not the cricket pitch. The, no, Lords yeah, in France. The France. Like the pilgrimage, yeah. yeah. And um, I think it's there's a, there was a book written about him, and there's like a photo of me, like going, <laughs> oh, hello, <laughs> with like a hat on. So what's coming up next? Oh, so my big tour starts in September, and that's for three months. So what's loads, it called loads of dates there. Who am I? Who am I? Yeah. Have you worked that out? No. <laughs> you written it? <laughs> Do you know? Do you know who you're going to be? Well, I'm me, but yeah. I'm just not quite sure who that is yet. Yeah. I think I know who I am now. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, come and find out. I shall. 
<laughs> to end, I have to ask you one question. Your dad's potatoes. Oh, my dad's potatoes. Tell me about your dad's potatoes. This is what he does. He gets his potatoes, but he always gets the right potatoes. He peels them, he rinses them, he soaks them. Then he boils them, or he does whatever he does with them, chip them, roast them. And I remember potatoes, like, I don't know if this is an Irish thing, but, you know, we would have our meal and then he would put milk on his potatoes and, like, loads of butter. And I just thought that was normal. And then we'd like to put butter on your chips. And then... <laughs> and then, like, we would go to, like, very rarely go to a friend's house and we were like, oh, don't you put butter on your chips? But, yeah... <laughs> Don't you pour milk over your potatoes at the end of the meal? <laughs> what, roast um, potatoes? No, that would be no, mashed, mashed potatoes. potatoes. That would yeah. be mashed. Yeah. Um, uh, and his chips are, I'm going to send you a film that my niece made of my dad making chips from beginning to end, and it's a, it's a thing of beauty. I can't tell you what he does to them. They're just the best chips, roasties, mashed, anything that you'll Brilliant. ever have. Pete's chips. Peach chips. Yeah. Bridget, it's been absolutely an honour to you. Oh, God, it's been such an honour. Take you out to lunch. Thank you. Thank you so much to the terrific human being that is Bridget Christie. For news about her upcoming gigs that run through to December, go to www.bridgetchristie.co.uk. We also talked about her brilliant show, The Change, which is available to stream for free on channel4.com, on desktop or on the app. And thanks to the kind folks at Bancone, who have restaurants in Covent Garden and Soho in London. Find them at bancone.co.uk. Please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your pods for new episodes. And this is the deal. If you tell more people about us, we might be able to make some more. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Thank you to our production team. Production management is Poppy Thompson. The assistant producers are Rani Prescott and Dulcie Wadcock. Social media is Jonathan Imiere. The recording engineer is Shivani Makwana. And the mix engineer is Gulliver Tikel. The senior producer is Selena Reem. And the executive producer is Ollie Wilson. Out to Lunch is a Sony Music Entertainment production. That was out to lunch. We've eaten all the grub that set our lips a smacking. That was out to lunch. We polished off the booze and soiled our napkins. 